I have I have a few a few things to open up with. First, as I was noting here, I'm I'm here in the Miami airport. I think it's a nice airport. It's basically like a long Viking hall, full of Ooh. like gates and places you can eat. I went to get some sushi, and I think I got I got the upgrade. I was going to order the soft shell crab, and then some sashimi, but then the guy was like, mm-hmm. for, for three more dollars, we can substitute a roll, and then with the roll, you can substitute to get your soft shell crab, and then you get a lot more. Are you hungry? And then so I ended up with the boat. But I did have a soft shell crab. <laughs> See, I, I didn't tell you about my adventures in the Manila airport. Mm. Um, I had a layover there on my way back from Tokyo with my family. And, you know, international connection, you think, well, we got three hours to kill, just grab a, a nice meal. And uh, no, there, there was none of that. They had a couple of food stands, um, but most of them were cash only. And there were no ATMs in the international terminal or, you know, in the, after the security gates. So I'm sitting there in a foreign country with no cash and a hungry family. That was uncool. <laughs> wow. That's pretty, you mean they, they don't have any like, uh, like, uh, ICO launches over there so you can get some, some no, blockchain no. cryptocurrency. No, 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 no. Is that, no, no, no. is that what you're supposed to say now is cryptocurrency? You don't say blockchain anymore. Is that is that well, accurate? Well, blockchain is, is the the technology. It's not the cash, so or you know the the money. So they're separate. Um, oh. So that's why blockchain is much more interesting. Well, they're both interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and then have fun. and then and then whatever happened to drones? Are drones still around? Um, sure. Yeah, but not not so much. Not so much though. Drones never really panned out, is what I'm hearing. They, you know, which 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 matches to what I've seen is like, you know, it's I I need to learn this year that um, I should not express my opinions about what my wife buys our our children for gifts. That's just yeah. uh, that's going to be in the big book of uh, to be published after I die. Tips that I would like to pass on to people. But you know, you you want to do your kids right and buy these remote control helicopters. <clears throat> Yeah, and um, uh, I'm here to tell you, don't. It's just like a bad idea. Like, they, so, you're gonna have fun playing with them. It's gonna run. In, the first, your kid's not gonna be able to figure it out, so they give it to you, and then you're like, Jesus Christ! I just wanted to get drunk on Christmas afternoon. Now I got to figure out how to fly this damn thing. And then, and then you're gonna run it into a tree at least three times, and it's gonna slam yep. down on the pavement. And yeah. you know, then the kid's like, I, I can't get this to work. And then you, and then, right. and then there you are. Yep. And, yep, and, and then I, and then you have a, a, a drawer in your house full of <laughs> helicopter blades, and you look at it and you think, uh, somebody should fix that, and then you close it for another three months. So I have to imagine that's how drones are. They're just sort of like uh, they're, they're a little more advanced stage of that, except they've got uh, they got different batteries, things like that. Hmm. Yeah, you know, you, you see them out here uh, at the beach and stuff. Uh, people fly them out over the waves when the surfers are out there. I mean, there, there's definitely some. Some real world usage. Yeah, uh, enough that you're starting to see signs that say no drones allowed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel I feel like there needs to be some training classes. Like you know, do they still have at UT where you can go take informal classes? There should be some on just drone flying. You should they should Ooh. you know figure that out. That would be maybe that would be a good uh, you know up in the uh, the fries here in Austin on maybe mm-hmm. Sunday morning they have the RC racing people in the parking lot. I bet, I bet they could teach you how to do drone stuff. Or you could get, like, some uh, off-shift coaches from high school to do drone driving school. <laughs> well, I'm sure in the Fry's parking lot, you could at least get someone to tell you how you're doing it wrong. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> have you been? To, have you all been to that store recently? Is Fry's, is Fry's still a thing, or is it all busted out? No, it's still a thing. It's mm. going yeah. strong, man. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, what, you can buy your soda, your computers, yeah. office Mag- furniture, magazines. TV. I mean, there's a lot of magazines. That's a that is a big magazine aisle. <laughs> DVDs, stuff. You're like, wow, like people buying this? Yes, they are. You can buy the prize, and people are it, buying it. Yeah, it's it's like a, a corporate flea market. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 Good I feel description. I, I feel like you know we haven't had a reference in a while, but I you know if you haven't investigated the magazine end cap at Costco, just go intrigue yourself there for about forty five seconds. Like, look at the magazines and think. One, they don't have that many, so they must know it's not a big pull. But like, what is who? Who's buying these? Like, who comes in and uh, buys these these magazines at Costco, conceivably for a discount? It's it's an odd. Uh, 
I don't know. It's, a, it's an odd thing that they have there. Next to, like, you know, they take up, like, a, a fourth of their book space with just, like, Harry Potter books, which I guess, you know, you sell what people are buying. Man, those are, those are evergreen. You, you can sell those forever. Yeah, and they have, they've got, like, the faux leather-bound Lord of the Rings and, and Hobbit stuff. So, so that's, yeah. that's nice for them. Well, here, here's, here's my other broad topic. I wanted to start off with. I was I was flying over here to Miami, uh, as as you do, I guess. Do people still say that? And uh, I was I was thinking, like, uh, we, you know, we should do a little bit of a um, they call it a retrospective, a a post mortem, or a, what's the opposite of not the opposite, but a post livum vitalis on uh, on like like how is it that Kubernetes won out? And let me let me make the case. First of all, let's just t- for the sake of argument, we'll just say it won, right? Which you know, by my usual extremely rigorous market analysis is in, in no way an easy thing to make. Like I think maybe two years into OpenStack, maybe you wouldn't have say it won, but it would, it would, there are people who would say such things. So, you know, if you're counting by revenue, if you're counting by people who have Kubernetes in a press release, it's definitely one. So you got that going for you. <laughs> uh, but if you count by revenue and actual deployment and people who have, you know, uh, lots of stuff in production, of course it hasn't because it hasn't been around long enough. But whatever, let's just go with it. And so here's the case I was thinking is like, now it seems to me it's been around for what, three years? Is that right? Or is it four? I don't know. Yeah, probably three. All right, right. And just now you got the Kubernetes book out, which is mighty thin if, if you looked at it. And, and I don't mean to say that it's a bad book, but the thinness, I think, speaks to the breadth of, of what, what Kubernetes does. Or maybe they were in a hurry. I don't know. Uh, and uh, so it's been out for a while. And I think maybe just this year, it's sort of like if your name's not Spotify or someone or some funky little company, like you might be using it. Definitely when we go out and talk with people, is everyone wants to talk about Kubernetes. Good for them. Yep. Uh, and and then, as I was saying, jokingly, you've got all these people, including Pivotal, all, all of our overlords. They're into it. They're like, sure, we'll support it. You got... As, as Matt Ray uh, pointed out, Amazon's are like, we contribute a lot of code to it. Next question. That's covered in page seven of our six-page memo. Uh, and, and then, you know, you got everyone, everyone's doing the thing, right? And so uh, I guess, I, I don't know. It's just like, why, why over, let's say, uh, Cloud Foundry, right? Yep. And then Mesosphere. And sure. And let's and, and then whatever OpenStack could have evolved into, and then all the various other things, right? Like what what is it that made yeah. uh, Kubernetes win out? Well, there's there's a lot to unpack <laughs> in that that monologue. Um, I know, and I, I, off, I cut myself off like a third of the way through. I didn't want to lead the witness. <laughs> wow. wow. Um, first off, just uh, 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 I guess a, a little tangent. I bet. More money is being made today with OpenStack than Kubernetes. Just throwing that out there. Mm, well, they, um, they did recently release the 451 OpenStack Pulse, which I, oh. I have not. If, if you're on your mobile device and you want to save a 451 report to uh, Instapaper, it doesn't work quite as well as if you want to save it on your desktop. So mm. you should look into that. Well, I think that's true, though, Matt Ray, but I think that's the trap. Like The trap is the uh, forward-looking growth versus backward-looking revenue, right? So sure, sure. There's sure. lots – that's just like I think you know, yeah. there's lots of things that make a lot of money, but people either don't believe they're going to grow or they're not growing. So it's just always that distinction, right? Because I think clearly Kubernetes is about the growth. So go ahead. Well, right, right. But, but my, my, I, the point I was going to follow up with is – um, I think Kubernetes is such a uh, commodified thing that it will be very hard for any non-incumbent to make money with it. Mm. Right? The, the startups around it aren't going to get the same level of VC investment that all the OpenStack startups did because um, VC was burned. You know, and uh, as they start to you know roll out this Kubernetes stuff, people say like, eh, public cloud. Um, and and just cut off some of the the private you know rollouts of it. Um, you're not gonna knock on wood. You're not gonna have the the massive you know uh, Kubernetes rollouts like you did with OpenStack that go to a small vendor. Um, I, I, I think I think you know the money uh, as, as usual is going to be be made in making things enterprise friendly, and that might not even mean installing and configuring and setting up Kubernetes. I, I think that's the the market that probably isn't going to 
going to have as many players as, as you know, OpenStack did. Um, I think it's just one of those things people be like, ah, there's no money there. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe what I think you're saying is you have this, uh, you got, uh, you got this container orchestration level. You got, you got a bunch of servers and networking and storage, and you want a system that when you build up a container, you can, uh, you can deploy it onto your cluster and configure your storage and your compute and the other one, your networking correctly, so your containers can execute and do stuff essentially right and the the orchestration layer and and that layer i think what you're saying is so you got kubernetes which is basically been given to free for the world commoditized so all of the vendors are like fuck it let's use it right like we it doesn't make sense for us to spend on our own stuff anymore and then on the right. other side uh the the other synonym for commoditized often is free and so the buyers, the enterprises of the world, they look at it and they're like, oh, I don't have to pay for this. And as we know from, from our uh, Docker commentary last year, people don't like paying for VMware. <laughs> so in, any, any time that they can uh, reduce their VMware bill, they're happy and, and they uh, gleefully go after that. So is that – did I mischaracterize it or is that kind of the – it's sort of like the perfect storm of – previously this infrastructure thing was really expensive and now Google – and and their uh, to use a word of the week, their colluders have come along, and uh, and now it's totally free. We got a free layer, just like Linux is free, and in, in all the meanings, right. good and bad of that. <laughs> well, and, and that 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 goes back to yeah, Linux is free, but somehow Red Hat's a two billion dollar company, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and and that's why Red Hat is focusing so heavily on OpenShift, and you know you you want to you want to own that that free that. Uh, commodity layer so you can sell services on top of it i'm just saying there's no market for anybody who's not you know already got a big foothold in the market it's going to be really hard for some small infrastructure startup to sell into the enterprise because yeah. they're yeah. they'll be gone yeah. yeah but i think you'd have to come back i mean it's like an interesting history like you know i think if you go back further than that and say a lot of this is just a response to VMware. I think people like kind of saw what happened with VMware, and that's why I think the vendors have quickly agreed to like we're all going to you know use this one standard and no one's going to win at all. But mm. all of that is, if you will, predicated on like why did it get popular? Because the hardest thing is for things to just essentially come out of nowhere and get really really popular. So I think this is where you got to come back to the actual a beginning of the container and Docker, right? The idea that that virtualization was well understood. People understood a lot about Linux. And then, you know, these ideas of, you know, Slayer's zones, BSD jails, like containers, like they've been out there for a while, right? But there was, I think, this tipping point where the development community, like the thought leaders and mostly in San Francisco, really grasped on the containers. And I think developers in general were like, wow, these things are really useful. This is a lot more useful to me than VMware. I can just do it. I can get these containers going on my machine. It really makes my life a lot easier. And that's sort of, if you will, that's like the the bottom-up demand, right? It's like everyone's grabbing this. And then on top of that, right, then it becomes apparent, well, you're going to need some management and orchestration of these, right? And boom, so that opens an opportunity but then Google, right, has sort of been sitting out there for a long time having a ton of experience with containers. And then they release Kubernetes, right, which is like another endorsement of containers as well as an endorsement of like this is how – I know they don't run Kubernetes for their production. But essentially it's an endorsement from like you know one of the leading web vendors of like this is how you do orchestration, right? And it's like – so like immediately there isn't that much to compete on, right? Like the guys in Docker then kind of get – really start doing rebranding. They kind of get lost with Swarm for a year, right? You know, it's kind of just confused. And that's really that the void Kubernetes then starts to fill. And then I think you're absolutely right. I think Google, IBM, Microsoft, um, uh, Amazon, everyone is sort of like, you know what? It's better for us not to not fight over this, right? It's better for us to just allow it to be a commodity and try to make money different ways. So it's a lot of different things, right, that go on to then like now we look back and we're like, wow, that was kind of a weird set of circumstances that, you know, the next evolution of this, um, which is totally different than VMware, right? VMware sort of like 
came out of not came out of nowhere, but like it got really big so fast that like you could only use VMware, right? There weren't, yeah. you know, it just got to a point that everyone did it. In this case, people fought that off. And now there may be some to your point, there are probably some other opening that we're not thinking about that some startup will emerge around to do something related, right? But it's just you know, it hasn't been done before, so it's not so obvious to us what will happen. All right, all right, all right. All right. So to, to come in again and summarize. So one, uh, the following is always hard to prove because you can never look into the hearts of strategists and product managers, and they will never admit this stuff. But essentially, um, except for a couple of vendors, they all got together and they were like, well, this Kubernetes thing, if we, uh, we, either, we either need to uh, beat it or join it. And they were all like, let's join it, right? And... Also, in doing that, we can basically uh, go against our common foe of uh, the, the the monetized layer of infrastructure being VMware that none of us have much of a stake in, and so we all want to go against it and uh, and and free up that cash or whatever. And yeah. and it's also an easy sell, as as we saw from the uh, the Docker slides, slide fifteen. As I recall, Brandon. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> infamous, yes. infamous two Docker slides that have always mattered. That one slide I'll have to look up of their potential project roadmap, and then slide fifteen. There, there you go. We'll see how that pans out. But so you got you got that vendor thing, and I and I think uh, you know, in my opinion slash experience, like vendor strategy counts for something, but it's a minority of how things happen. And then you hit upon I think the phrasing I was really looking for, Brandon, is like, why is this thing so popular? And yeah. now it might the popularity might have been fueled by vendor strategizing, right? Or it might have been fueled by other things. And let me just throw a couple of things out here. One, uh, like I, I I guess it's hard to like uh, win against Google branding for things, which then begs the question, which we'll never find out. So, how much how much money and effort did Google spend in hustling and marketing this thing, which? I, I guess you could kind of reverse engineer it, but like, I, I don't feel like it's a buttload. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, like there are. I mean, there's you know the uh, the, the famous Kelsey Hightower running around, and then you got a few people. But it's not like it's not like they have a team of fifty people and an SVP of hustle the shit out of this thing. And they're pro- like, I, I mean, they can't be burning more than like very liberally 15 million dollars in marketing the first two years on kubernetes right like if that. exactly yeah. exactly now this year you know who knows what, what what they're spending but point being like they don't didn't spend a lot of money marketing it so there must yeah. be some sort of like what do they call it goodwill or something maybe that google had branding it so you got that maybe that's a thing of how it rose in popularity and then um i mean I can't say I've installed Kubernetes, but my understanding is that there's only a hard way to do it, uh, so to speak. And so, like, uh, it has to be as pleasant as installing Cloud Foundry, more or less, right? Like, and, and I, well, I think it has fewer moving pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it is simpler. So there's, there's, uh, you know, you only have to put the nail into your eyeball so far before you're done, right? Like, whereas other ones, it's, it's just like, as, as, as uh, everyone's favorite. Andrew Clay Schaefer said early on, right? Like, well, you're installing a cloud. What? How easy do you think it's going to be, right? Like, <laughs> like it's it's if you want a cloud, it's difficult to install. And so, so that kind of knocks that out as sort of like the easiness of setting it up. Maybe not so much versus versus like a a Docker where it's sort of like you know whatever silly thing about adrenaline you want to get right but like you can you can or dopamine you can get it up and running very quickly kind of like vagrant like seem like this magic thing uh way back when right and so like the ease of getting something up and running doesn't necessarily apply so then then of course not to discount it you could have well it's beautiful and really elegant and works and and all of that stuff (laughs) so then you're just left with like google marketing and then other stuff i haven't figured out like well, the, yeah, but I think I'd be. I would say you kind of have to go back to the demand side, right? It's not so much mm, yeah, marketing. Yeah, yeah. It's like once the container becomes really popular. So this is like the classic Mark Andreessen product market fit, right? Where it's like, hey, once the container, once people, and I do think that became that was more like developers making their life easier or translated developers are lazy like wow this container is really useful for me to like test some stuff makes my workflow better right so i think that's happening and that's what's creating i think you know a lot of this bottom-up demand then right then it's like okay it isn't some like genius strategy it's just more like 
Google has been working with containers. It just so happens, right, almost by accident, right, that they had like you know used container orchestration as the foundation of their stuff for a long, long time, like ten plus years, right, maybe more. So they kind of have this thing that's like probably like a lot of side projects in Google. This was like how Sun was too. Like there's just a lot of weird technology being built that at the at times. It has no, you know, I can name like a million sun projects. Like remember Ginny and all these other crazy things. It's like they're just kind of out there, right? But then suddenly like this container thing starts to happen. And I don't think Google is so much strategy. It's just like, wow, it turns out we have this great thing that we've been working on. And it seems like kind of the perfect time to put it out there. And then that combined with a little bit of evangelism, like, you know, like when I say a little bit, it's like not $100 million. They send Kelsey Hightower out and people start writing it. And then all the other vendors, because I mean, think about it, right? If, if while this is happening, only really Docker is building Swarm, like competitively, they're on it. Like all the other vendors are kind of flat footed, right? It's like, do you have a team that's been working on containers for a long period of time and has an orchestration product pretty close? The answer is probably no. And right. so you're you're like, well, like, you know, it's so it isn't so much like a great strategy. It's just like, guys, if we try to build this from the beginning, it's gonna cost us a lot of money, it's gonna take us a long time, and I don't know if it'll be as competitive. So it kind of makes more sense for us to join up with this consortium, right? So like mm. all of those things happening, like if there had been at IBM or at any of these places, right? Like another really strong container orchestration system, I think somebody would have put it out there. I think the only other one would be like Mesosphere maybe, right? Yeah. Like, it's, And they did, they, they're making a go of it, right? So, um, but they're just, you know, again, sometimes these things happen so fast and technology adoption is faster now than ever that there isn't just the time to spend like three years trying to build something out, even if you want to. Well, and, and I think there's some, some under, open source and market layers in there as well like um you know you mentioned docker only has pretty much one company contributing to it i mean that that's that's really overgeneralizing they have a, a healthy open source ecosystem around their products but yeah they are a vendor looking to monetize something so they they you know they hold that fairly closely and and mesosphere is is really the same way um and so you know kubernetes did not like pop out fully formed it popped out as you know a third of an implementation that was, you know, had a had a good skeleton and good architects who had already seen this thing in production, right? And by really embracing the open source community, by bringing in as many people as they could, as going into the CNCF for you know good or bad, um, and just doing everything they can to make it the lingua franca uh, that is more inclusive, yet you know still has. Uh, the ability to say no. I think that was that was kind of what distinguished it. Um, I think the language choice, uh, you know, Mesos under the covers, there's a whole lot of Java, um, not as attractive as, as, you know, the shiny Go. Um, but, you know, not having a vendor looking to exclude potential features from it, as, you know, may happen with Docker or uh, Mesos um, DCOS, you know, that's, that's, I think that's the, the differentiator. You know, it's it's completely open source for good or bad. So so yeah, okay, I think you okay. Make an so, excellent point there. Oh, just just one second, and then give you. It's just like you know, the Google did very very quickly. I don't know when they like contributed to the CNCF, but like the fact that there was like no confusion, like like you know, because normal company would be like, we're gonna have a freemium, and then we're gonna have like a pro version, and then we're gonna have an open. So they were like immediately like, no, this when it got like momentum, they're like, we're contributing it to this foundation. This is a governance board, and I think that made it very easy for all the other vendors to quickly like get in line with it. Whereas I think. Like the Docker or whatever, you know, any open source company usually goes through this. Like there's like this long fight or confusion before they get to that point. So the fact they did that very early on, I think, again, made it even easier to adopt for the larger ecosystem. All right. So may maybe to close this out, you know, good episode of the Kubernetes This Week podcast so far, <laughs> by the way. But uh, like, OK, so I, I wrote down, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven angles that you could start like extracting some lessons to learn from. One, price, it's free, so you got that. Everyone likes free, whether that's real or not. And then uh, two, let's just go with functionality. It works, right? Now, another side of that is like Google credibility, right? So it's uh, uh, every discussion about Google's from Kubernetes is quickly followed with, it's not how they actually run things, but, right, like it's sort of like, so, so you can trust that it works because it's Google and they know how many like 
gas stations are on Mars or, or whatever it is they do. And and then there is there is some, I don't know what it is, but some effort of marketing where you're actually focused on like hustling it around and talking about it and marketing it. It, it wasn't like so many sun projects that were like sounded cool and then you didn't really hear about them very much. Um, I think that's fair. So then, so then there's sort of like, so you got those things to learn from, right? Like free is always nice, uh, which is challenging, but, but maybe you have some other angles and then, and then, and then you kind of painted the picture of like, and I'm going to combine this with one of them is like, so Docker containers were a big deal. And like, as an individual container, that was cool. And I can wire together like three containers. And then all of a sudden I have like, you know, 2000 enterprise applications I want to containerize and run across the globe 24 seven. And I got to figure that out. So there was this like gaping need of like, if I'm going to containerize things and reduce my uh, VMware cost by 80% and, you know, screw Intel and all slide 15, I'll refer you to, then I'm going to need a way to manage and orchestrate all of this. And then meanwhile, uh, Docker is just kind of futzing around. Like they, they don't, they, maybe they have the technology and they have the community, but somehow they're uh, close the deal ninjas. It didn't work out for them or something like that. Yeah. Like they, they didn't grab the market. And I don't know what the analysis on that is, but that seems to be the case. <laughs> right. So I don't know how that happened. Uh, and then, and then the final one, which I think is good is there was a, um, this is like, I'll channel Simon Phipps here is like, if you do honest, clear, open source things, good things happen. Right. So, <laughs> and, and you don't have a bunch of shenanigans. So I don't really know what the lessons learned from all of that are, but like just to, to, to close it out, I think, I think the next thing that's interesting to think about, not, not that we should talk about it is like, so how does this inform not relate to it all? Or how, how does it address the idea as developers, as kingmakers, right? Because I think it's very easy to say that like, oh, developers like this, so therefore it became popular. And I don't, I don't know. I'm not always sure if that's super true. And in this case, like, it yeah. seems like it'd be a good case study of it, of figuring that out. Because I, I still don't feel like, and I guess maybe I'm completely wrong, but I don't feel like it's the same thing where, like, uh, you know, for an hour, a bunch of developers worldwide went and installed Kubernetes, and they were like, winner, right? Like, this is the thing we're going to no. use, right? So, like, <laughs> I don't quite... I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that fits in. But anyways, yeah. anyways, let's move on to the uh, the other news items since uh, you know uh, we all have stuff going on. Keep it at a tight hourish kind of thing. So, did y'all read? Speaking of Kubernetes, that there's some sort of Cisco Google partnership. More importantly, did you understand what even it was about? <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean my my. My take on it was, you know, Cisco is trying to move out of the networking only, you know, perception. You know, I know they sell a lot of other products, you know, mm -hmm. converged infrastructure, all that stuff. They're they're really so they're really they're, a company about connecting people. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, they want to reach out and touch someone. Um, but but yeah, so so Cisco is looking to be relevant in that same you know Kubernetes hybrid cloud conversation. And have something that can anchor your data center into whatever your future infrastructure is. And, you know, it's going to be Kubernetes, apparently. Um, yeah, but, like, this just feels like, I don't know, the, what was the in, intra-cloud intra thing they had a while back? Where they hooked, they're like, mm -hmm, you know, we can mm -hmm. federate all your open stacks together. And, you know, that came and went and, you know, nobody ever used it. So, uh, I think at this point, Google is just signing up everybody to be on ramps into their cloud, and they're not. And, and you know, probably somebody at Cisco is going to try to sell this, but I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know who. And, and and so as usual, I was being quite facetious, but I was <laughs> I was being facetious because it took me a long time to actually find out what the partnership was beyond like, uh, you know, hybrid cloud or something like that. Yeah. And, and I think what it is, and I put a link here in the show notes, is basically they have some converged infrastructure. I think you're supposed to say hyper-converged, so I apologize. Mm. Uh, hyper. HCI. Not just CI, HCI. You got your, uh, your hyper-converged infrastructure called HyperFlex, um, mm. which that's, that's got all the great things in it. It's, it's, uh, it's fast. It's good. It's agile. It's flexible. Yeah, flexible. I, I like, Short I, span. I like a flexible stack. That's what I'm into. Just like a fresh loaf of bread. You can just bend it around all you want. Make sure your kids don't put eggs on top of it and ruin their sandwiches. Yeah, but just like your bread, it's going to go stale in two days. Mm. Yeah. 
Hmm. Hmm. Uh, anyhow, uh, so I think it, they have a Hyperflex box, and they're like, we can run Kubernetes on, on the, uh, the Hyperflex box. Done. Cool. And and then and then this and then also I think I think there's two notable things in the coverage of this is like there was an inordinate amount of Estio mentioning, which maybe as the year, years progress will stop being an inordinate, but at least at the moment it seems like this Estio thing is a big strategic deal for for the Googles and the Ciscos and everything, and and in fact if you look at the diagram. It's sitting right there in the middle, just chilling, hanging out, delivering what's it's called like, a consistent environment. And wow. uh, and then the second thing is 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 here 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 is a quote. Uh, I'm sure Brandon remembers the uh, the date and time when uh, Jassy, the Amazon person, first uttered the phrase "private cloud." But here here is here is a quote from one of the other heads of private cloud, Diane Green. You may remember her from VMware, uh, yeah, yeah. and she says. Speaking about private cloud, or as or as I was joking earlier on Twitter, from now on we're supposed to refer to it as hybrid cloud, is my understanding. But whatever. Oh sure. Speaking of private cloud, she says this is what we hear customers ask for. So there you go, the the on premise thing. Google Google is all about the on premise, which which is fine. Yeah. Uh, I didn't read the re- read the word on ramp nor bursting in this context, but. Using this partnership, uh, that's at, kind of passe. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm going to well, be talking about this, community clouds. I do think oh. this is, uh, you know, the, again, getting outside the details of the announcement. Just the fact that, like, okay, this is yet another endorsement of, like, you know, private cloud. All the stuff that was like five years ago, you know, saying it was sort of, you know, out of favor. You know, everything's going to go to the the public cloud, and then now we've kind of come full circle. And so I think this is all like. You know, leading up to what I only have to assume is there going to be some major private cloud announcement at uh, AWS mm. reInvent, right? Because it's it's like everybody has, not just the vendors, of course, because like many vendors wanted to say this all along, but like the press, the narrative, if you will, the narrative is now really switched. Like everybody, press and journalists and customers are very used to talking about hybrid clouds and private clouds and different options, and now you have another option here from Google and Cisco. Um, and so what is the Amazon response, right? I mean, and I assume it'll be some massive private cloud offering. Uh, and if it isn't, it, it would, I don't, I'd really be surprised at this point if they say nothing on it yeah. or if it's not a big deal in some way. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll say two things when we move to the next thing. I mean, I think, I think one, uh, it's likely that this partnership or whatever is – probably a good template for other things that uh, Google would do, right? I mean, it's, it's while it's got a bunch of high flute and stuff wrapped around the tech reporters who don't really, like, get down to the grits of things, like, basically, it's just like, yeah, you know, you run this stuff on-premise, and then it's compatible with off-premise, and boom, done, whatever, right? Like, not, not a big deal, essentially. Yeah. You know, not, not, a, not some crazy thing or whatever where, anyways, it's straightforward. Uh, and then, uh, what were you going to say, Matt Ray? Well, I was going to say, do you think that, that, that there's like some massive Cisco and Google engineering team that's ramping up for this? Or do you think there's probably like four or five dudes who are, you know, sorry, dudes and dudettes um, who are, you know, hacking this together. So when a customer does ask for it, they can roll it out to show it to them. Cause I, I, I don't know. I'm not an analyst anymore, <laughs> Matt Ray. I, 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 work, I work at a vendor. so uh, I'm just saying like, like yeah. having – Having seen some of these up close, there's usually not the amount of meat on the bone as you know the the press release would have you think. Yeah. And then when you get into the the customer who actually wants it, you know they're like, "Hey, slow down, we got to finish this." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I again, I don't know about this, but yes, our uh, our our little nook of the world, the infrastructure software world, is littered with uh, press releases that never compiled. So you know you got you to gotta watch out for that. What what is the term of art? The the Barney partition, the Barney partnership. The Barney right? partnership. The, yeah, uh, the yeah. you love me, I love you, and yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Like, I mean, to be a little bit more fair to it, I think it's like clearly Cisco wants to have some kind of cloud strategy. Google's like, yeah, we got to figure this private cloud thing out. They're all like pretty close to each other, at least headquarters wise. Like, let's yeah, let's put something out there and see if let's we can get some customers. Yeah, I mean, I think, it, but I think I don't even think it's a bad thing. I think it's more like if we can find some joint customers, let's figure out a way to work together, and maybe that leads to something yeah. bigger. If not, not a big deal, right? Right. Right. So, right. I, I I totally agree with that. I, I'm just saying, if you think you're going to buy this on Monday, you're probably <laughs> probably not. You too, right? Yeah, um, you know, I'll, I'll have but, I'll, I'll go scope out the Best Buy robot kiosk here at the airport <laughs> and see if they have it in there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's on the end cap at Costco, but. 
you know, I, I think there's a lot of these projects popping up right now waiting for a customer to want to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you saw that in the OpenStack Air in spades, right? Which, oh, yeah. Which, again, yeah. is totally fine. It's, uh, it's, it's your, uh, your, your, your press release product fit, right? Like, that's, that's what comes before the market is the press release, and then you do your market fit. I think that was uh, Chapter 2 of Lean Startup, if I remember. <laughs> yeah, something like that. All right, well, well, Matt Ray has to go early. Why don't you give us your recommendation for this week, Matt Ray? Uh, uh, so my, my recommendation for today, uh, for this week, is... Uh, you may know Brian Eno, the uh, uh, ambient music you know, uh, producer, recorder guy, and Kevin Shields, who's the uh, brain trust behind My Bloody Valentine. Uh, they have a collaboration. Uh, it's an Adult Swim single. Um, go find it, download it, listen to it. Uh, very, very good, droney kind of uh, electronica thing, if, if you're into that. Um, I am. So uh, that's my recommendation for the week. Mm, Talk to you later. Very good. Bye-bye. All right, all right, so Brandon, good thing you're here, because next on the plate is, uh, let me get the name right, because I think it is a little awkward. The, uh, what is it called? IBM Cloud Private. Did you, did you, did you get <laughs> the right. briefing on that? You know, it's funny, I didn't actually, I didn't, I didn't get to uh, sit in and get a full briefing, but I did get to read all the various things. So yeah, so IBM, we, we, we made a bunch of announcements. You know, you know it turns out we're, we have lots of products around cloud, so you know, Kote, you need to come use them all with me. Hmm. Good, good job there. That's good. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, it seems like 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 I spent some time this afternoon reading it. One thing, I, I mean, it, it's it's a very descriptive. It is a little weirdly worded. It seems like you would say IBM Private Cloud instead of IBM Cloud Private, but that's fine. Whatever. And uh, you know, one very well documented from a marketing standpoint, right? And uh, you do have the thing where it looks like it's actually possible to download it and install it. You got a community edition. Which which is nice, right? And then and then this is something I've been yeah. wanting to pay attention to more is the I don't know how to phrase it quite correctly, but the containerization of existing middleware stuff. And so that was one of the other giant uh, parts of it is as you would expect to your point about having a lot of stuff is like, and IBM is great at this. They're like, if we're going to come out with the cloud thing, we're going to make sure all of our stuff works on it. And so, uh, and so, you, there's like a laundry list of all the, the all the great IBM products that that have been containerized and, and uh, work on it and wired up to it and everything. And then finally, I asked someone in Twitter, and I haven't gone to verify who they are, but my understanding is that unlike Pivotal Container Services, this thing runs all on Kubernetes with. So it has Cloud Foundry, I think, running on Kubernetes, maybe, but managed below still by a non-Kubernetes thing of how you would deploy it and do it. So it seems like Kubernetes is a much bigger deal in the IBM Cloud Private. Uh, I don't know. Not much bigger, but it is a big deal uh, in, in that area. And then also, it's, uh, it's version, what version is it? Version 2.10 or something? So there you go, 2.1. Already been there you have there. it. You have everything. Well, I do think you know. Hopefully, you know. It's always interesting to be on the other side or the inside of all these different things. But you know, all these different brands. You know, the one thing I mean has tried to do, and you know, you can Kote, you can feel free to critique it. Is this put everything under a very simple brand? IBM Cloud. So that's the one thing that hopefully people are taking away from it. Like there are a variety of solutions, public, private, and you know, various things in between. Um, but that's going forward is how IBM wants to talk about it, how we want to talk yeah. about it. So the yeah. IBM cloud, trying to make it simpler. And, you know, we, you know, for better or for worse, right? I mean, we have, we provide customers with a lot of choice, right? There's a lot of different ways to do it. And, you know, we've got a lot of different solutions for you. So, but we probably are willing to sit down and have that conversation. So that's the IBM cloud. I think that's the announcement to me, or like, that's how I internalize it. And and so so is is like is like blue mix out of the the yeah so the, that's the mix retired. for things that's, so yeah, the blue I, mix I, is, is, I, is is retired okay I still saw a reference so to the say, blue mix glad. garage but blue yes, mix as far as yes. a product thing so blue mix maybe has gone down to the garage level yeah well the hope right I mean you know <laughs> I don't know I guess again like maybe too much like no, nothing happens overnight but like the, mm. the future right is the IBM cloud that's Got what it. you'll be. That's what you when you are watching your commercials during the weekend, yeah. during your various sporting events, you will see the IBM Cloud. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, and, listen. And I want you to go tell the the IBM brand people that we over here at Dell Technologies we already have the uh, the IoT cow. So don't be fronting <laughs> on our cow. 
We got we got the bovines covered. You know, if you want a All chicken, right. a pig, uh, you can go with an elephant. But the cow, that's ours. So don't go digitize. Don't right. don't tell us how you can have a, a blockchain cow because that's that's our territory. Got it. I've not seen any. Um, there's been no cow release today. There's been no cow icon. So I feel like we're safe there. There's, you know, we're gonna go a different direction, whatever that may be. Good, good. Yeah, but anyways, there's a very thorough release you can go read up on. And and you know the other thing. Uh, uh, that was nice about it. It's very, very humane. There's lots of like human voices in it. Kind of like a Microsoft release will be. They'll have the big old, big old stodgy press release, and then there'll be like big old blog where someone uses the uh, the first person to talk about things. There's even your favorite, Brandon, a wiki that goes over it. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> Uh, well, so uh, let's see if we got any other anything. I don't think we have anything else to go over. We can. Uh, I think. I think um, there's a few things that I'll put in the uh, uncovered bonus links. One, there's there's uh, some summary of like you know if you care about this kind of thing, all the shenanigans with uh, the the government getting upset about about Twitter and Google and Facebook and you know helping uh, helping foreign agents do things and stuff like that. There's actually a uh, there's a there's a good write up both in the register and another one in uh, by by Ben Thompson going over it and and uh, you know I think Ben's from if you're into the exegesis podcast he, it's a good angle in how you can um, use publicly available assets and quotes and callbacks and timestamps and YouTube videos to really pull together an article uh, you know it's the power of hypermedia when you're doing tech coverage. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to go read that and kind of like on the one hand be your like uh, tech elitist kind of person and be like no one knows anything. Uh, but then, but then oddly enough, if you're doing a close reading, so um, uh, I don't I don't remember if he's your representative, Brandon, but my representative, John Cornyn, who heads the uh, the DHS, uh, I don't know, big fancy room where they interview people in Congress. What is that? A subcommittee? Mm-hmm. Committee. Anyways, committee. Yeah, he had he has a very. Uh, it's funny. He has a kind of a Ben Thompsony thing where he's like ranting about him, and he's like, ah, uh, you know, y'all are media companies, and I don't really know what that implies. I don't know if we regulate media companies, but your media comp- I guess we regulate TV channels and broadcast. Uh, you know, your media companies, and should take on that responsibility. And you could almost see him like fighting off like this this uh, this reply of like, yeah, yeah. It's like I know, I know your platforms. But I don't think anyone gives a fuck about that, right? Like, he doesn't say it that way, of course, but he's just like, that kind of nuance, I don't think anyone cares about, right? The fact that you're an intermediary platform. So that'll be fun to see. And, and then I think the third point, I guess I'm going over this in more detail than I intended, but it is um, <clears throat> as far as thinking how uh, uh, corporately you conduct yourself, I'm guessing that uh, if if the government asks you to come to a very a highly public thing, it's probably a good idea to send your CEO instead of the uh, <laughs> the lawyers. That, that, that's not a good sign to send lawyers, your head counsel, uh, to to be grilled by people. So that that was also seemed like a uh, a silly thing. So I don't know if the CEOs were caught on that island that they're building with Peter Thiel get, to get their blood transfused <laughs> and everything. Uh, but right. like it probably they probably should have like hopped on a private jet and just flown over there and uh, you know well if you want to I think we should maybe yeah we we did review uh, Scott Galloway author of the four in our exegesis podcast but he this is well in his wheelhouse he has like a, a pretty like set piece rant about how you handle crisis and uh, you know he he has really taken all the tech companies to uh, to task about. Kind of their lax response, and he, he you know, his uh, to give like a, a bad paraphrase of it, is he cites the uh, the Tylenol crisis of the mm. early '80s about yeah. how um, how the company immediately was like, yeah, th- th- there's a huge problem here. Everything comes off the shelf. We won't, nothing will be done until like we fix the problem. And he just talks about how like taking ownership and like you know, and that's what like that's what leadership is, and that's what how you get through a crisis. And he's, and then he goes on to say about like. You know, when you first deny it, and then you say it's not a problem, and then you send like an underling, right? That, that was that's his rant about like you're not handling the crisis well, and you're going to invite even more regulation by doing that. So yeah. anyway, if you want to hear him talk about it, and he has all these funny stats, you can go listen to that. But uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting to follow. I mean, I think it's you know the tech industry is is definitely growing up <laughs> in a good or bad way yeah. depending on how you think of it and and then speaking of that so uh we just released uh this week's uh software defined talk white paper exegesis podcast members only 
And uh, we talked about the podcast format and EBCs, and then uh, we talked about the uh, analyst thing last week. If you go to patreon.com slash SDT, you can uh, sign up for a dollar or five dollars. You get access to that. And we don't have anything else in there. And I don't really have any conferences. I'm going to, I'm going to a little uh, InnoTech conference here in Austin on uh, November 16th. And then, of course, there's the Spring One platform. You get a discount code if you want to go to that over in the show notes, December 4th and 5th. But with that... What's your recommendation this week, Brandon? My recommendation is a Netflix series called Mindhunter. So it's, uh, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, done by David Fincher. He's the director of uh, a bunch of good movies like Seven, Zodiac, Fight Club, things like that. So if you like those David Fincher movies, then you'll enjoy Netflix. It's like 10 episodes. I think it's very bingeable. I really liked it. My wife was not into it, so read into that what you want, but uh, it was good. And then the other thing I noticed for the first time was as I was kind of binging on some of these episodes, uh, the Netflix uh, UI came up and said like as the uh, sort of like when one episode finished and the next one was started to play, it just come, comes up with this little option like skip intro, right? And so this little button that pops up, so if you're watching them back to back, and you don't want to see the the credits, you know, and kind of the the opening uh, scene. You can just skip it. And I was just like, that is an awesome little feature, right? Cause it's that like, yeah, that right there. Finished one. Now I'm pretty sure that's Scott Galloway's net new favorite instance of AI in use. That is. Yeah. We can make fun of that. That's right. Like advanced AI. Although, um, although to be fair, thing. you you could see that you could use some machine learning to basically detect the the credit sequence and like the, you know years of video that you had a backlog of but whatever and let's, yeah because obviously that. they've had autoplay for, for i don't know a while and then now the fact that you can get to to um and I, you know I, I i always marvel at maybe a little bit jealous of large consumer services like they are willing they have the time and it makes sense from an ROI perspective to kind of like really tweak the experience to keep fine-tuning it right so it's like these small things, right? Like, um, like in an enterprise software, it's just like, yeah, there's always these bugs that are just annoying their usability, but there's just not enough resources to fix it. There's not enough ROI to justify it. But like everyone understands, like, yeah, that's annoying. Like, there's this annoying thing. Like, if you ever use like an expense system, there's something about mm. your expense reporting system. You're like, God, that's just annoying. It's not that people don't know. It's just like. Just honestly, there's just not enough, you know, a desire in ROI to fix it. Whereas, you know, things like Google and Apple and, and just large consumer services, like when you have hundreds of millions and in some cases billions of users, no, it makes a ton of sense for them to spend time to make to take every little piece of friction out of the experience possible. And I'm like, yeah. And so, I, I always appreciate when when services do that. So it's just like, yeah, yeah sure, it only takes like a. 30 seconds or a minute out of my life. But like, yeah, when you just finished your episode one of mine, Hunter, Hunter, and they're left you on some cliffhanger, like you just want to keep going. You don't want to yeah, like have yeah. like no, a I've, I've, break. So. I've, I've noticed that on the new episodes too. It is, is really handy. I was, I was catching up on uh, the walking dead and uh, it's nice to, of it to be in there. Cause you know, you always screw up fast forwarding that that's always fraught. And then if you have a bad internet connection, it's, it's, it's terrible. I, I would imagine making the business case for that would be pretty easy. Cause if anything, you can be like the bandwidth we're going to save, uh, which if you spread that across, like, you know, uh, even a small double digit percentage of users is probably a, a ton of, uh, of bits. They don't have to pay to move down the pipe or, or whatever it is they do with their pipes. But yeah. Yeah. So mine hunter is about like, uh, profiling serial killers or something right is that right yeah yeah, yeah it's about like uh some of the first this is quote based on a true story so it's about some of the first fbi um agents in the 1970s that sort of like went out and said hey something's going on here we should do some research so how do they mm. do it and how, how do they come up with this notion of profiling so um you know like everything i have no idea how historically accurate is but it is a very interesting look into that that dark world if, if you're interested in that mm. that kind of thing all right. Well, my I, I just have a uh, book recommendation this week. I uh, I was I was you know I always have in my head that uh, I should read about the the tech industry more, and it's actually hard to find like history books I find that are entertaining to read. I think I think the best there's two. I'll give some sub recommendations. The two best IT history or tech industry history books I've I've read. I mean, I guess the Everything Store is very good, uh, but more historic than that is uh, what what's the one that Robert X Kringley wrote. Or that, that pseudonym, uh, Accidental Empires, that one's pretty good. 
And then, and then there's this book called uh, "The Difference Between Larry Ellison and God," and of course, you know, the 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 joke being that God knows he's not Larry Ellison. Ha ha! That you can apply that to anyone. But, um, anyways, that was actually a really good book because it like narrowed down into what the history of Oracle was and how it panned out, and you know, like when you get to read the history of Oracle. But so I started. I had one in my uh, my queue called uh, "Programmed Inequality," and it was basically about how. Uh, by having a screwed up view of, of like women in the uh, the IT industry in Britain totally tanked their chances of uh, being big in IT. And, you know, in addition to just being jerks about it. And uh, I've only read up to maybe like the early uh, 1950s where there's there, – it's a very academic book. So there's lots of footnotes and um, lots of rephrasing things without making a very strong point, which I, I, I always – I have flashbacks as I'm reading it. I remember reading – all the academic books in college, and I feel like oftentimes in the margin I would write, make a point, uh, with, but which, you know, because I was angsty. But anyways, there's always a point scurrying around, and it's a good sort of discussion of how, uh, I don't know, if, if you have discriminatory type thinking that just turns out to be totally wrong, then you do stupid stuff. Uh, and uh, one of the anecdotes being that, uh, so you got these these punch card operators, and there's there's at length descriptions of like when you had all these machines they're very loud and you have to be pay attention to make the punch cards work and the, and it's a very very diffi- manually difficult work and you have to put up with a lot of stuff and uh, the I guess the civil service or whoever they, they they kept thinking like why does this keep failing like we need to experiment with uh, with how we improve the people who are doing the punch card stuff and and they were and this is the part that's funny they were shocked to find that the more educated the women they were hiring for it, the better job that they did. <laughs> Great. It, it, amazing. What yeah. an amazing insight. And, 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 and the reason they were blindsided to that is they were like, oh, this is women's work, right? Like it's not that big of a deal or whatever. And so it was just like, well, of, of course, because they're people. And if you educate people more, they do a better job. But anyways, but it's it's a good it's a good uh, overview of of uh, all of that. Hopefully, at one point, it will make some explicit opinions and points, so that I don't have to uh, interpolate forward to them. But uh, it's it pretty much lays it all out there. And also, when do you get to read about the IT history of the the United Kingdom? Not frequently. So uh, so with that, this has been Software Defined Talk. As always, if you want to get the show notes for this episode, browse past episodes, try to. Uh, figure out the riddle of how I select header graphics for each page that, uh, that we use here. The cover art's usually pretty obvious, but if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 110, that's 110, uh, you can see the show notes for this and get links to stuff that we've talked about and uh, all those other things. Also, uh, if, if you're interested in this stuff, you should join us in our Slack channel, because I'm sure uh, your little sidebar in Slack isn't isn't populated enough with Slack instances that you have. You need to add just a few more in there and send yourself a magic link or something like that. But if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack, thanks to NoSSHJJ, you can just automatically sign yourself up. I think you have to do some email nonsense and you can, uh, we've got a channel in there where we talk about links that we might uh, discuss. we got one for the members-only podcast that you don't need to be a member to join. And then just general discussion in there. So uh, hopefully we'll see you over there. And with that... Hey, we'll Kote, before yeah, you go, yeah. I promise, I just remembered, and I apologize, so I'm going to say this ne- next time. So if you made it to the end, I appreciate it. But like, JJ, no SSH, JJ wrote a post recently, and he doesn't do it often. So we're going to put a link to his mm. post about knowing what tools you should use and how to select tools. Um, and because it's JJ, it actually has like a lot of good content and like technical stuff. So I think you uh, as the audience should check that out. So oh, yeah. uh, definitely uh, go read that because JJ, you know, I mean, when he doesn't write a ton, but when he writes, he has something to say. Yeah. So, and and uh, if, you're, if you're Go ner- read his. Go ahead. If you're nervous about reading the post, just bring a card game with you and it'll work out. <laughs> it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be perfect. All right. Well, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.